Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Chapter 22, verses 23 through 28. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Then you will lay your gold in the dust, in the gold of Ophir, among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him, He will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways. 
Согласно исследованию ученых, самый древний признанный и непревзойденный шедевр Literaturnym personage. Is not just a literature persona, but he is a historic figure. Considering that God, through prophets and kings, as well as Jesus Christ, as well as his apostles, numerously looked at the events that had occurred with Job, it follows that the book of Job is the most ancient letter of God toward man that tells of the relations of God with man and man with God. In these words, we find six most ancient promises of God that are given to man that are unchanging today as well. The next, the first promise, you will delight in the Almighty. This is a promise because a person who rejoices in the Lord, he is the most happiest on the world, in the world. You will lift up your face to God. Not everyone can lift their faces up to God because Sin, um, sin makes them, them fall down and they have a hard time lifting their face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and He will hear you. You will pay your vows. You will declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. But in order for these promises to gain legitimacy and to become a part of the inheritance of man, a person is supposed to fulfill four conditions. This is to return to the Almighty, to remove iniquity far from his tents, to lay gold in the dusk and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, and to view the Almighty as your gold. And according to these requirements, we come to the conclusion that then and today, True riches are incorruptible riches, pure, kept by God in heaven for us, that is ready to be revealed in the last days by the power of God through the faith of His chosen remnant. Many promises are going to be revealed only in the last days, and they're going to be revealed for the, the small flock. Many are called, but few are chosen, and for these chosen will be revealed. Why? Because God is going to begin to reveal to them, and they are going to begin to accept it by the faith of their heart and to proclaim. And these proclamations are going to give God the basis to reveal these promises, this inheritance that He has been keeping for ages and ages, specifically for his chosen remnants. When a person goes against these priorities and tries to search for material prosperity and the supernatural powers that give him fame and, fame and superiority over others, he stands aside from the statutes of God and therefore stands away from God. And therefore, in order to once again return a person from perdition to salvation that is found in God, which is found again in God, not in material prosperity. Again, keep in mind, it's not found in anointing. It's found in God, in His Word. And God, through the prophet Malachi, calls a person to turn to Him, just as in the book of Job so that a person searches for God and not material goods, but God in whom all are all the incorruptible riches. 
We've mentioned on numerous occasions that on the new heaven and the new earth, rich people will have a special status. Just like here on earth, rich people have a status, a special status. They can um, provide for themselves those things which others can't because they have money in their bank accounts. There exists a heavenly bank. And if in this heavenly bank will be little, then life on the new heaven and earth, although a person is, is saved, he's not going to be able to be satisfied by the fullness of God. He's not going to be able to comprehend the face of God. He won't be able to live that high calling and that high life. He won't be able to feel this energy and the fullness of it. Yes, he will be delighted, but this de this delightfulness is going to be limited. People think that all those who end up in heaven, they have an equal amount of access to God and happiness and joy, but this isn't so, and Scripture does not say this. People in biblical times understood this as well, and the mother, the sons of Zebedee, turned to Jesus at one point and asked Jesus, please make it so that your sons could when you are there in heaven so that one can sit on the right side and the other on the left side. She understood that a lot depends on this, who who's sits on which side. Jesus answered to her and said, this is not uh, my work. I can't, I can't do this. And it's not me who decides this. It is the Father of heaven who will be closer to me and who will be further from me. This will depend on the level of a person's dedication to God. Everyone has a different level of dedication. The level of dedication depends on the level of sanctification. When there is total sanctification, then there could be a total dedication to God. And of course, this kind of a person behaves himself differently. He honors God with tithes and offerings from all of his soul, and he rejoices, and he searches for knowledge of God and searching for him when he honors God. And it's not important how much we give, but how we give. At once, Jesus had said, and he paid his the disciples' attention to the, the widow. He was near her, and there were rich people who gave a lot, but she gave one coin. And he said, she gave all of her daily provisions. Today she's got nothing remaining. Today she is going to hunger. Not fast, but hunger, not, that's not going to be enough to eat for her because she gave all to the Lord. He said, she placed more than, she gave more than anyone else. It's very important where we direct our means in the format of tithes. And in scripture, tithes are defined not just as a tenth, but any dedication to God. If dedication to God is not clothed in the format of tithes, it's not accepted by God. Tithes is God's hallow, God's holiness. If it is not offered as holiness as something that is hallowed, God won't accept it. 
Obviously, for the poor and the rich, it's the same, a tenth part. But there exists sacrifice of offerings because uh, tithes is not a sacrifice. Tithes are that which belong to God but are in our authority. But the nine parts that are remaining, God says, and now I want to see how you are going to sacrifice. And he sees the sacrifice of certain people. And it occurs out of love toward God. The more a person loves God, the more he sacrifices. And obviously, these sacrifices and these tithes are directed into the bank. And it is then transferred into the heavenly bank. And it's very, very possible that one dollar there in the heavenly bank could be viewed as millions of dollars. And many millions of dollars here that are given on earth could be looked at as just one dollar there. Depends on how we bring our offerings to God, how we bring our tithes and offerings. Don't try to, with tithes and offerings, turn God's favor upon you. Try to find God, honoring Him. When you honor Him and search for knowledge of Him, this is what true sacrifice is expressed in. And this is very important. For this, what must be done for it to be hallowed by God. It's written that we must turn to the Almighty because today very many people are not turned to the Almighty. Their faces are not turned to Him. They come, but behind them they have their own hobbies. All of their days are already planned and they don't have a lot of time for God. They don't have... Um, they have their own goals that are higher than service to God. They come to church just to receive salvation, just to simply be saved. But if you serve God, then you must serve Him everywhere. Do you not know that you are priests 24 hours a day? You are the temple of the living God. And in your temple, 24 hours a day occurs worship to God, if, of course, you have built yourself into a temple. And now imagine that a person person allows himself to drink alcohol. Scripture says, do not drink alcohol or strong drink, you and your sons with you, he says to Aaron, so that you shall not die. Do you understand that people who legalize alcohol, it doesn't matter in what dosages, it doesn't matter how they justify it. They say the discipline of spiritual wine drinking. This is what so-called generals of God say, who each time openly say that they allow themselves to drink a glass of wine before eating. And one woman says that she, uh, she drinks one glass a day. She doesn't go to a church. She has her own so-called mission. She's a, a famous evangelist. I'm talking about that woman whose name I don't want to say, but sometimes her portrait hangs on freeways when you're driving and you can see her face. Many people equal themselves to her or compare themselves to her. This is the woman who gathers mainly only only um, only woman congregations, just as the Queen Vashti had done. And women go there, they cry there, they lay their money there, not understanding that this woman is the emissary of Mammon. 
and they're following her into hell. And you're going to say, how? Many people went against me when I, when I named names of their favorite generals. That the, and I said that they're not generals of God, but emissaries of Satan. They would, they would groan and moan. Time will tell. If these people allow themselves to say, who will give 10,000, who will give more, who will give $1,000? These are emissaries of Mammon. Because the children of God are never going to say this. The messengers of God are going to proclaim tithes as holy unto the Lord, and they're going to say how to bring it, and with what kind of heart, what kind of heart. For, furthermore, we must remove iniquity far from your tents. And everyone knows what it means to remove iniquity. This means to be sanctified. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. This means to place the word of God higher than so-called gold and view the Almighty as your gold. And then all of this will be perfected to us. Right now, we have the unique opportunity to honor God with tithes and offerings. And to show with our heart that we search for Himself in these offerings. We don't search for material riches, but we search for knowledge of God, because in this knowledge is revealed to us a kind of price and kind of riches that the whole earth or world cannot compare. And even what you have today, those promises that you have already accepted and are growing, this is so valuable that the whole world is nothing compared to it, because the whole world with all of its values is soon going to be destroyed. It will be destroyed. But that which you have, it does not decay, it cannot be destroyed. And in its time, you are going to be enriched in this. And you are going to differ from one another like, us, like stars differ. Everything depends on each of us. The higher the level of our dedication, the higher level of our sanctification. Let us stand together and sing together. And we are going to honor God with tithes and offerings, accept His authority over us, and express our love toward Him. This is always a major event for the heavens. It's not a religious event, but this is... Uh, this is a triumphant event. It's very unfortunate, unfortunate that many services don't pay don't pay attention to this. Very many churches they read only one place of scripture and they and they move on. They don't make any kind of accents on this. They don't pay attention. I place our attention on this because it is the main commandment. This is the foundational commandment. It is from here that God begins to bless us. It is here that He begins to uh, seeing our relationship toward Him and tithes and offerings. He then gives us His revelations. He gives us power. And He gives us the opportunity to bind our corrupt desires, to bind the old man, so that we can finally live a free life and serve Him. Therefore, let us sing together and honor God with tithes and offerings.
And so each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words that Moses had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings before the Lord and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel and tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely. I did not give in sorrow. I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, let your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
родовных друзей, И вошел в заветную землю, Землю ту, что избрал быть своей. На земле этой странником стал я, А шатер стал домом моим, И ходить пред лицом твоим стал я, В ожидании с наследием моим. And so those who have a Bible, before we begin to be immersed into the Word of God and study our inheritance, let's open along together to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. 
Then you will find rest for your souls. The sermon I would like to continue is called Return to the Ancient Path of Goodness, upon which a person will finally find that rest that Joshua could not bring the people of Israel because the law of Moses was not called to bring people to rest. The opportunity to find or return to the ancient path of goodness is the opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gates, which in scripture are called the elementary principles, that is, the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The essence of the kingdom of heaven itself, which Christ called the kingdom gospel, is characterized in Christ's reigning teaching by such unearthly qualities as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14 verse 17. We must always remember what the kingdom of heaven is. Speaking of these three qualities which characterize the kingdom of heaven within man, we must remember that this passage of scripture is not telling us to obtain these qualities, but to proclaim and demonstrate them. When they are already in man, this says that the kingdom of heaven is expressed in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It talks about its demonstration. This tells us that in order to obtain the kingdom of heaven in the form of these three qualities, which have no analogs in any dictionary in the world, we must first find it. I am referring to righteousness, peace, and joy. The definition of these words you won't find in any dictionaries of the world. All the dictionaries are going to tell you something else, but not what scripture means. And consequently, we must seek the kingdom of heaven, the ancient path of goodness, with the aid of every one of the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy, which reside only in the bosom of the Holy Spirit. This is the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And as we've remarked before, few succeed in returning to the ancient path of goodness, that is, finding the narrow gates in the teachings of Jesus Christ. This means, as Christ often said, that many of those who, either out of ignorance or will not find the narrow gates in the reigning teaching of Jesus, will slander them as if they were a heresy, and as a result will inherit eternal damnation. But those who humble their hearts before God and become His disciples in order to enter through the narrow gates found in Christ's elementary teachings will inherit eternal life. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. This is referring to Christians who have filled all kinds of temples and prayer houses. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are very, very few who are found in all of these churches who will find it. And in this context, the narrow gates are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As paradoxical as this may sound, the wide gates are also righteousness, peace, and joy. The cardinal difference is that the people who enter through the narrow gates appraise these three qualities from inside the Holy Spirit, thanks to His revelation in their hearts, which they received through hearing 
hearing and obeying the gospel word of the kingdom of heaven. Meanwhile, those who pass through the wide gates appraise these three qualities independently of the Holy Spirit and outside of the Holy Spirit with the help of their own intellect. They say, I have my own head and I understand this this way and this is written this way. Because of this, interpretations of the kingdom of heaven and man, which defines the freedom of Christ, vary from one individual intellect to another. That's why they are wide, because there are many different opinions. To lay a foundation for our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of the Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was able to describe the order found in the teachings of Jesus using only a few concise definitions. The image of the four rivers flowing out of Eden to water the garden symbolizes the four fundamental teachings of Jesus Christ, each of which contains within itself a triple of functions, summing to twelve. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 2. This is a new version of the translation that we have studied. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, leaving or sprinkling ourselves with the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ and putting on their armor of light contained in this supreme teaching, let us build ourselves into a house of God because it is impossible to lay it again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These here are the four rivers that are the prototype of the twelve teachings of Christ. When we looked at the doctrine of baptisms, we noted that it has unity in the sense that all three baptisms immerse us in the death of our Lord Jesus, while each one performs a separate function. For instance, I will remind you, the main function of water baptism is to separate man from the world which lives in evil. The main function of baptism in the Holy Spirit is to separate us from the vain life of our forefathers. And the main function of baptism in fire is to separate the new man from the old. Matthew chapter 3 verse, verse 11 I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire each one of the three baptisms apart from the primary function that distinguishes it from the others contains other purposes that do not work without one another because they depend on each other and verify each other to the extent that God allowed us, we've already examined the doctrine of water baptism. Therefore, we will immediately turn to studying the doctrine of baptism in the Holy Spirit, the second foundation in the wall of the New Jerusalem made of precious sapphire stone. And again, it is the second foundation. Revelation 21:19. The foundations of the wall of city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The second foundation was sapphire. 
Before we turn to the powers that come with the second foundation made of sapphire, which represents the doctrine of baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is worth paying some attention to the person of the Holy Ghost, who is called upon to perform this baptism with the resources contained in the death of our Lord Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, whereas baptism is the work that he does by the command of the Heavenly Father, the first person of the Godhead, using the resources found in the death of the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit is the most mysterious person of the one God, being his third hypostasis. Because of their ignorance, some of God's children assume and even avow that the Holy Spirit is not a person but the breath of God or His energy, something faceless and undefined, without form. But even with a passing familiarity with Scripture, it becomes obvious that this misinformation has much deeper roots than mere ignorance. It is simply a darkening of the mind and the capture of certain parts of the mind's territory by the spirit of deceit. God's energy can never manifest itself outside of the person of God in order to comfort a person who has come to God running away from all manner of fears and phobias Jesus said you need another helper when he was with the disciples he comforted them and when he left he said I won't leave you as orphans I am going to send another helper and for you it is better for me to leave and for him to come because if I don't go he won't come he had showed them that the significance of the Holy Spirit is higher than his. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. This and a great many of other passages from Scripture tell us that the Comforter or Spirit of Truth is a person, not an amorphous energy. The Holy Spirit shares one nature with God the Father and God the Son, as well as the same intentions, and they pursue the same goal. Although they have one goal, each one of them has a different function or role. In this sense, God is one. God the Father is the thought which contains His, his intention and His will. God the Son is the word that reveals God's intention and will. God the Holy Spirit is the power that brings His word into being. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. 1 John 5, 7 and 8. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and their divinity distinguishes them from everything else they created. In the relations between the three persons of the Godhead, there is a holy hierarchy, at the head of which is God the Father. The unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in that none of them have a beginning or an end to their days. 
All three persons are omnipresent and independent of time because they're able to simultaneously exist not only in the present, past, and future, but also in the immeasurable boundlessness of all eternity. In each atom of eternity, while every one of the three persons of the Godhead has a separate function, it will never be the case that one can perform the functions of the others. The nature of God made no allowances for this. Therefore, when it comes to any goal established by God the Father, all three persons always work together. When it was necessary to carry out a decree to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what Daniel had said through this vision. And in this vision, Nebuchadnezzar himself had heard this before God had judged him. Take a look, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of Ben. First, it says here that there is present a group, and this group is comprised of three, three figures, three watchmen, watchers, and a sentence by the word of the Holy Ones. And then these three unite into one, in order that the living may know that the Most High, so all of these three watchmen are almost high, ruling in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. In this sense, they are one. Because of their unity with God the Father, all three persons are omniscient and omnipotent. This means that God can do anything he might want or desire. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, there is a unique passage in which the divine hierarchy governing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is revealed. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. He says, I, come near to me, hear this. I, but, so obviously this is God, but who out of the three personas? He says, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. He says that he was always there. And there, furthermore, he says, and now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Do you see here that this is referring to Christ in the book of Isaiah? Christ, who always was, and who says, Now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me, meaning the Father and the Holy Spirit. It is in this passage in likeness that the one God created man, who is a totality of a spirit, soul, and body. Then God said, not said, oh, excuse me, then God said, let us, not let me make man, but let us make man in our image. Sometimes theologians say, there is a council going on here. There's no council. The Father never counsels or advises with anyone. They are one because they desire to fulfill the will of the Father. They know that everything that he will say will be absolute. And therefore, there has no, there's no need for a council or change or to change anything. They are so one that they, uh, with trembling, wait for what he will say so that the the, they can fulfill it. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, our, not mine, but our image, 
meaning the man will be likened to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit simultaneously because he will have a spirit, soul, and body. We don't say that these are three different people. He has a spirit and soul, and each of them have their own functions, but they're not different people, they're one person. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It follows from this passage that all three persons of the Godhead participated in creating man. Today, there are many denominations which not only refuse to recognize the Holy Spirit, but even the Son of God, born of a virgin who did not know a man from the seed of the Word of God, transformed into flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. These wicked people compare them to ordinary men who were born of a man's seed. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh. When did the Word become flesh for Maria? For Mary, excuse me, when the... Uh, Gabriel the archangel said this word the holy spirit made this uh, this this word a physical seed that fertilized her egg cell the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father Therefore, when certain people and religious movements compare the Son of God in His role as a Son of Man to ordinary humans, there is only one signature and one intention, to discredit God as God. Yet Scripture tells us that such people will succeed for a little while, and the hour is at hand when their madness will be revealed to all. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7-9 through 9, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. In Scripture, each one of the three persons of the God, of the one God, independently reveals itself in the Word of God. But it is in the third hypostasis of the Godhead, as nowhere else, that God's nobility and meekness manifest themselves with the greatest force. More specifically, the Holy Spirit does not do anything from His name or in His name. Everything he does and says, he takes from Jesus and glorifies him. Such is divine meekness. He does not care for himself, he is not zealous for his own sake, but only for those for whom the Father and the Son are zealous. As it is written, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns zealously. Why does the Holy Spirit yearn zealously? Because the Son loves us zealously. Because he says, I gave myself up only for my church. This is written in Ephesians, and you can read this. Christ did not die for the world. It says, he gave himself up for his church by sprinkling her with, with, uh, with water in the word. Therefore it says, for God so loved the world so that whoever believes in him, not the world, but whoever believes in him out of this world, could be saved and have eternal life. Each one of the three persons cares and is zealous for the others, and each one tries to fulfill the desires of the others. God the Father anticipates the desires of the Son and brings these desires to fruition by the power of the Holy Spirit. Take a look, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. 
It's not Adam who knew this. Adam didn't even know this himself. He didn't feel that. Uh, he didn't feel discomfort, that he was uncomfortable being alone. Being alone, created, and speaking with the Father, he didn't feel any kind of discomfort. Communication with God completely filled everything for him. And God knew this. It is God who knew he was alone because he had laid something in, in man. And he said, let us make a helper in the likeness of him. That's why not the son, not the son that wanted a helper to come, but the father wanted for there to be a helper for the son. And he said, I gave birth to a son. I want to also grant him a helper. It is not good for him to be without a helper. Here God created, but in relation to the son, we're not just created and in relation to the Son, we're not just created, we're born. There's a difference between a creation and the one who creates his creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, this is referring to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn meaning he was always in the depths of the Father. And in this eternity, at one point, God had wanted to bring him out of his depths. It's not that he was somehow formed just as conception hap happens or that he was... He always abided and he was always hidden and covered in the depths of the Father. Just like when we talk about being contained in God, the Son was always in God. And, but at one point, God gave birth to him and showed him to the angels. Here it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things consist. The Son of God, in turn, is zealous for the Father and delights in fulfilling the will of his Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John chapter 9, verse 34. Yet the Son of Man could only do the will of his Father and finish his work only because the Heavenly Father anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is impossible even for the Son of God to fulfill the will of the Father without this power. Therefore, when the Son of God fulfills the will of the Heavenly Father, He always does it with the cooperation of the Father and the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing acts and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts 10.38 until the 30 years of age, he did not do this. The Holy Spirit was with him. He was born of the Holy Spirit, from the seed of the Holy Spirit. And yet, until God had anointed him for certain works, he did not do anything on his own. He did all with the power of the Holy Spirit and under the power of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew and in Greek, there is no sense of the word power where God gives it to a person as something impersonal and independent of the Holy Spirit or in addition to the Holy Spirit. So personified power, let's call it that, 
Какая сила? Because... И я и есть эта сила, которая ее поднимает. Или когда вы делаете какую-то работу, ваши руки, вашей силой это происходит. What kind of power are we talking about here? When you do some kind of work, the work is done with your hands. Can your hands do something without you? Of course not. Therefore, when we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't understand that power is given without the Holy Spirit. God baptized Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and this anointing in the person of the Holy Spirit endowed him with the power to go forth, doing good works and healing everyone who was possessed by the devil. From the actions of Jesus that reveal the presence of this anointing, we can conclude that God was with him. These actions that had discovered his anointing, People had said, man can't do this if God is not with him. Or they said, man can't say this if God is not with him. So Christ had spoken it and he acted in such a way that people knew that God was with him according to that anointing that was manifested to him according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And this idea exists even in the words of Jesus' farewell to his disciples before he was raptured to his Father. Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 9. It being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Pay attention here. To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. When I began to look, according to the strong dictionary, what the power of the Holy Spirit is, what it means in Hebrew, in the Greek language, it means the Father's might, the Father's strength, the Father's potential, the Father's capability, the Father's concrete goal. So when anointing is given, it is given for a concrete goal. It means the Father's sacrament, the Father's arm, the Father's right hand, the Father's glory, the mantle of authority hanging down to the ankles. This is in the original text. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit is described as. And from these we gather that neither the Son of God nor man can use their anointing for their own whims. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So everything is done by the Spirit, and He doesn't ask, He doesn't counsel or advise with us. Yes, He asks us, do we agree or not, but He doesn't advise or counsel with us. This is uh, we who must counsel with him and must find out, does he want us to do this or not? As a matter of fact, the thought to baptize man in the Holy Spirit and with fire belongs exclusively to the Heavenly Father. 
But it is the Son of God, in His capacity as a Son of Man, who is called to fulfill this thought. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17 says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will pray the Father, says. Why? Because the Father has revealed to him that he wants to send the Holy Spirit, that if he doesn't send the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of the Son will be um, will be for nothing. Not one person will come to God. The result of his work will go to zero, to nothing. He died and he resurrected, but if the Holy Spirit does not come, nothing will happen. No one will be saved. And he knew about this. And therefore, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper because this is necessary so that all that I have done, he could bring to fulfillment, to action, to fulfill it. Otherwise, all of my works here would, would be nothing. Therefore, because baptism in the Holy Spirit is the second of Christ's reigning teachings, then apart from the other twelve foundations of the New Jerusalem, the second was made, as we have already read, out of precious sapphire. When we search scripture, we see that the precious sapphire stone identified with the doctrine of baptism in the Holy Spirit appears only where God says something through the Holy Spirit or does something by the power of the Holy Spirit. When God allowed Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, along with 70 elders, to ascend the mountain on which he had given Israel its law and made a covenant with them, they saw the God of Israel and under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 and 10. Let us pay attention that the paved work of a sapphire stone is the result of the product of someone's craft, craftsmanship with, with sapphire. We already know that in the Tabernacle of Moses, every one of the feet of the sanctuary on which the Tabernacle of Witness rested was made of pure silver, symbolizing the work of pure sapphire in the form of the most pure blood of Christ's cross. This sapphire had showed the work of the blood of the cross of Christ. It had showed the function of death, what the blood does, because it is the blood of Christ in the death of Christ that fulfills its work. And the Holy Spirit takes these functions and He manifests them. And the Son of God offered Himself blameless to God with the aid of the Holy Spirit personified sapphire, as it is written, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, pay attention here. He brought himself on the cross but with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there along with him. He had brought himself with the power of the Holy Spirit blameless to God. A lot of places it says that it is the Son, but 
The modesty of the Godhead is almost not shown, although it is present. From this passage of Scripture, it follows that only in the baptism of the Holy Spirit can the pure blood of the cross of Christ, like pure sapphire, cleanse our conscience of dead works, so that we in turn can become in the eyes of the Heavenly Father that pure sapphire and serve the living and true God. In this way, the footstool that is like sapphire stone is a man's collaboration with the truths of baptism of the Holy Spirit who reveals the power of the blood of Christ. When the blood of Christ washes sin, it washes it in such a way that God does not even remember of the fact itself that a man had sinned. It justifies him cleanses him, erases it. We can conclude from this that the pure blood of the cross of Christ is that pure sapphire, it is the life, out of which the Holy Spirit made the feet of the tabernacle in which God dwells. The blood of Christ hides a mystery of the nature of God's life, which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have, because in the blood is life. Therefore, in the eyes of the Holy Spirit, the work in our hearts done to the clean sapphire, the truth of the blood of Christ, is identified with the person of the Holy Spirit himself. As it is written, the Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13-14. to 14. Take a look. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. God not, gave not just His Son, but the Holy Spirit, because the Son brought Himself with the Holy Spirit. And in order to prove that that which the Son had done is truly firm, He gives the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God redeems us with the blood of Christ from the sinful life of our forefathers, which was our former inheritance. It is only in this way that the Holy Spirit becomes the guarantee of our inheritance. Until the, the genetic inheritance of curse that we have inherited from the sinful life of our forefathers, until it is abolished, the Holy Spirit cannot become the guarantee of our inheritance. That's why I always say that if we do not know about the powers that are contained in baptism in the Holy Spirit, then the place of Holy Scripture that Peter says, knowing that you were redeemed, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So sometimes people say, I reject, I so forth, they don't understand what that what that even means. I, I rebuke, for example, just those words won't, uh, won't work. We need to work along with the truth because it is the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit cannot do it without me and I can't do it with the Holy Spirit. I can't be read from, from, from this genetic inheritance from our forefathers. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, if we know its powers, allows the Holy Spirit to make us into pure sapphire, 
using the redeeming blood of Christ and in this way to transform us into God's portion so that we may praise His glory. Knowing the treasures that are in the blood of the cross, which make up our inheritance in the Holy Spirit, David called God's worshippers to worship at his footstool, which is a work of the Holy Spirit made of pure sapphire. Let us go into his tabernacle, let us worship at his footstool. Psalms 132 verse 7. When people don't understand what footstool, what a footstool is, let us worship at his footstool. Because a footstool is made of pure sapphire, which a price was paid for. God had given up his son along with the Holy Spirit. And only when we understand this truth and when we cooperate with it, then it begins to free us. And David understood these things. He said, let us worship at his footstool. Is God's footstool made of pure sapphire which served as a testimony of a person's redemption from the vain life of his forefathers and also a testimony that this person depends on the Holy Spirit and is led by the Holy Spirit. This is what it means before God. All who were led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Uh, as a child, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I was told that all people who do not speak in tongues are not the children of God but only those who speak in tongues. And consequently, I was told that only Pentecostals are the children of God, but the Catholics, the Baptists, and the Adventists are not the children of God. Only those who speak in tongues are, I was told. And they told me, whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ, they went the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But this did not mean the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not in any case. And when I had read a place of scripture, each one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. And when I asked my brothers, the elders, well, how there's no holy, there's no baptism in the Holy Spirit in this passage, but it just says that if you are born of God, you are the Son of God. They couldn't answer my question, and they said, "Don't blasphemy." So, so because they couldn't answer the questions that I was asking them, because they truly believe that only they, as Pentecostals, would be saved and that only they are the children of God. But there wasn't that place of scripture they're talking about isn't is being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not lead people without their will, without their understanding of it. God's never going to send you to, to do something that you don't understand. Only when you clearly understand that this is the will of God, only then the Holy Spirit can lead you there. Because the prophet stands, he says, uh, God says, God says to him, Who shall I send? Who shall I send? And the prophet says, Here I am, send me. And then the Lord sends him. When you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, Who shall I send? I want to do this work. How many people I've encountered that God leads them to some kind of work and they say, I can't do this, I don't have this gift, I can't do this. I said, do you think, do you think that God 
God does everything with the power of the Holy Spirit, not with your knowledge and not with my knowledge, not with my intellect and not with yours, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And anyone can accept it. And it's written, and your children shall prophesy, and your, your young ones, I will pour the Spirit out on all of you. I will show you that the power of my, with the power of my Spirit, I can do this even through a child, through a woman, through a young one, anyone who will accept it. Therefore, to be led by the Holy Spirit, it's necessary to know the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead a person if they don't know the teaching. The Holy Spirit only leads in the, in the boundaries of the teaching, and the Holy Spirit wants you to, to, to test this, because an unclean, unclean spirit may come in the same light. He might come visions that are going to be fulfilled, but you must not look at those things that are being fulfilled, but the teaching that He carries. If you don't know the teaching, you are not led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not lead people who do not know the teaching. And David says in another psalm, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. He is holy. Why holy? He is holy. This is the second foundation, sapphire. In order to calm his people during their war with the storm of unbelief, God declared through Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 11, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your sons with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about baptism itself right now, but the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Spirit. Because as we have said, the Holy Spirit is God and baptism is the work that He fulfills. Don't confuse those two things, the Holy Spirit and baptism. The Holy Spirit dwelt with the disciples even before baptism in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, He is with you and you know Him. You are already familiar with Him. He speaks to you and you hear him. Some people think that until a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can't speak in his heart. That's not true. He can and does. If people love the Lord, if they listen to Him, wait, search for Him, He is going to speak to them, uh, no matter of uh, not looking at baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is His completely other work that he would like to fulfill in man. But with his disciples, he had spoken. And he said, you know he is with you and he will be in you. And this prophecy tells us that God's footstool, made of pure sapphire and kept in the tabernacle of our hearts, is the result of our faithfulness to God, which we demonstrate amid a storm of sorrows and travails directed at us by the forces of darkness, our flesh, the wicked, and the world living in wickedness. The sapphire stone, like the jasper, was on the breastplate of the high priest, by which God spoke with man, and man could hear his voice. If the jasper of the first foundation, worn on the breastplate of the high priest, signifies a revelation when we talked about baptism 
in water. Also, it signifies a revelation that will emancipate us with the authority of the, wor of the world. Then the voice of the sapphire or the breastplate of judgment signifies a revelation that will liberate us from the authority of the sin sinful life of our forefathers. When the prophet Ezekiel saw a vision of the glory of God, whose throne rode on the four wings of the wind that is on four cherubim, this throne looked like it was made of sapphire. Ezekiel 10, 1. <coughs> and I looked, and there at the ferment that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone. So the cherubim who had carried this chariot was out of, on it, it says, was a person having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. When we consider that our tongue is an instrument that steers our entire body, then it follows from this vision that the Holy Spirit can guide our tongues from the tabernacles of our hearts only if we have a throne made of pure sapphire in the form of a good conscience that has been cleansed of dead works by the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. It is apparent that it would be impossible for the Holy Spirit to work in someone without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which the Spirit himself is pure sapphire and a skilled worker with sapphire. So in the book of Songs of Solomon, the most beautiful of women, enraptured by her beloved, sings the praises of his of his body, comparing it to a carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. The work of carved ivory inlaid with sapphires is the result of the collaboration of the Son of Man and the power of the Holy Spirit. In this collaboration, he subordinated himself completely to the Holy Spirit. That's why his body had become so. And by his subordination, he allowed the Holy Spirit to direct him to those purposes appointed by his Father. The stomach or the body is the innards, the bowels, the womb. It signifies the quality and condition of inner peace in the Beloved. The work of carved ivory symbolizes the son's faithfulness to his father. The uh, bone is always unbreakable faith, faith that has gone through trials, that has gone through water and fire. It symbolizes son's faithfulness to his father, which he demonstrated with his death, even death on the cross. Therefore, if we, if we want our inner being to be inlaid with sapphires, like the Son of God, we must make ourselves completely reliant on the Holy Spirit so that He can carve our inner man out of ivory and only then be inlaid with sapphire. It is only ivory which symbolizes faithfulness to God's unchanging order, which we demonstrate with our obedience to the truth that can be a foundation for the Holy Spirit to inlay our faithfulness with sapphire. Considering this principle, we must always remember that everything God has done from the beginning, He will continue to do today, and everything He continues to do for all eternity, He will do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Силою Святого Духа все на что не надеется.
пока Бог не истребит всякой надежды, на которой мы надеемся, потому что это сила It always is referring to the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing that the power that is contained in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is called to do, it's meant to accomplish um, something by introducing us to the titles in the name of the watchman engraved in the foundation of Sapphire, because in every foundation was the name of one of the twelve apostles of Christ. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Revelation 21:14. Therefore, if we want to have a better understanding of the privileges that come with baptism in the Holy Spirit, we must look into the name of the Apostle, which was engraved in the second foundation made of sapphire. Matthew 10, 1-2 And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So, according to this testimony, the name of the apostle written on the second foundation made of sapphire was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, and the first one of the apostles to meet Christ, after which he brought his brother Simon to him. That is why in the first apostolic church, this apostle was known as Andrew the First Called. This name has survived among the various Christian denominations in the names of churches, such as the Church of Andrew the First Called. It's remarkable that despite the fact that the Apostle Andrew was in Christ's innermost circle, we don't have any epistles that Andrew personally wrote to the church. The name Andrew means courageous and strong which points to the fact the character of his name symbolizes the qualities and roles of the Holy Spirit who brings people to God, inspires them to fulfill their calling. The fact that Andrew is a prototype of the Holy Spirit answers the question of why his apostolic service to Christ was so unique and so self-effacing. The Holy Spirit never acts in his own name and never represents himself being the glory of the Father and the Son, he never seeks this glory for himself. He always acts and speaks in the name of the Father and the Son and seeks only their interests. His crushing power, joined with grace and humility, can be found in the simplicity of the dove. These are the qualities we are meant to receive in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We must be partaking to these qualities because the Holy Spirit is a dove. He is in the form of a dove. He is strong, but he is presented in the simplicity of a dove. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, pay attention to what they ask him. 
This was a very close circle near Christ. Tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Many believe that this is me, whereas it is not, and they are going to follow them thinking that they are following me. They are going to be following those who will bring them to perdition instead. It's significant that the presence of certain apostles allowed the Holy Spirit to inspire Jesus to share remarkable and indispensable principles and warnings, principles on which depend the survival of our faith. He had spoken them when the Holy Spirit allowed him to, and the Holy Spirit intentionally, figuratively had gathered such apostles among whom he began to say something. He had excited Christ thanks to the presence of these apostles, thanks to these names. Again, from these principles will depend the survival of our faith, the fulfillment of our calling, and our future growth and perfection in Christ Jesus. For instance, those few and two references to Andrew's apostolic service tells us that he had a very close and friendly relationship with the Apostle Philip, whose name we will look into more closely when we look at the fifth foundation, the symbol of the covenant of salt. The name Philip means lover of horses. There is a special fraternity in the relationship between Andrew and Philip. We must know that each time... Uh, every time the image of the Son of God is associated with the Im image of a combat and the Father's glorious stallion, the image refers to military combat, which the Son of God will wage by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is going to return on a white, white horse. The war horse, war horse in Philip's name represents the covenant of Saul testifying to our cooperation with God. And this we're going to talk in more detail when we look at this fifth foundation. It is a symbol of the victor winning God's war. That is why in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the death of our Lord Jesus and his victory over the sinful life of our forefathers is tied to the image of a war horse. It should be borne in mind that holiness devoid of the Holy Spirit constitutes dead religious works, indicating that our conscience is not cleansed of dead works. For example, observe that when Philip had something to say to Jesus, he first spoke to Andrew for some reason. And only then did the two of them tell Jesus what Philip wanted to say. Or when Jesus entrusted Philip with anything, it was Andrew who would find a way to fulfill this mandate. This indicates and confirms that in the son's relationship with his father, no matter where it is active, it is never active without the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the name Andrew, the power of the Holy Spirit is contained. In the name Philip, the Son of God in the image of a victor, the glorified horse, which verifies the principle that the relationship of the Son of God with the Heavenly Father cannot occur without the power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda. For some reason, there were um, other people at the feast, but for some reason, they came up to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They asked him. 
Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And as soon as they said, Jesus, take a look at what Jesus, what happened. What Jesus had said at this, at this request of the Hellenes. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Christ's reply to the Hellenist's request was terrific. The Hellenes were not only Greeks, but all, but all Gentiles who shared the Greek language and culture. From his answer, it followed, the Hellenes could only see Jesus if he, as a grain of wheat, falls into the earth and dies, and when the Greeks will follow him and like him, will lose their souls. And of course, the loss of the soul which the Greeks inherited from the sinful life of their forefathers meant immersion in the death of Christ or baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the purpose of the death of Jesus Christ in water baptism was to separate the person only from the world to which he belonged. But for a man to separate himself from his home, which was the domain of the sinful life of his forefather, he had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is significant that the Greeks did not directly address Christ, although they could have done so, but instead they turned to Philip. Philip, rather than bring them to Jesus or to speak to him directly, instead talk to Andrew. And only then did the two of them address Jesus together. If the name of the Apostle Andrew reveals the image of, and the role of the Holy Spirit, the name Philip, meaning lover of horses, reveals the image and role of Christ as the mediator between God and a person who presents his petition to the Father, not otherwise than in the power of the Holy Spirit. Philip on his own couldn't come and um, present the intercession for the Greeks. Christ couldn't come and intercede for us. He had to turn to the Holy Spirit and say, they're asking. They're asking bread from me. They're asking for it. And only together did they go to the Father. So in Zechariah, the Son of God is a true legion hero, is presented in the form of a glorious horse on the battlefield, wherefrom he will be reproduced as their cornerstone. Zechariah chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone, Jesus out of the tribe of Judah, and he is a chief cornerstone. From him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like the mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. When it says, because the Lord is with them, this means because the Holy Spirit is with them, the power of the Holy Spirit is with them. Jesus couldn't, without the power of the Holy Spirit, to do work. He can't come and intercede before the Father without the Holy Spirit. Just as we can't intercede without the Holy Spirit, and our intercessions will not be accepted. Just as Christ, being found before the throne, he can't intercede for us without the power of the Holy Spirit.
To summarize, it's safe to say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not work without the war horse on the battlefield. Likewise, the glorious stallion of holiness ceases to be so without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The next moment in which the Apostle Andrew appears, or rather, the content of his name in which are hidden the powers of baptism of the Holy Spirit once again includes the glorious night of holiness contained in the name Philip. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him said to Philip, all the twelve disciples were there, why did he say this to Philip? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? This parable is written as, an, as a symbol so that we can see something in there. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. But once Andrew speaks, everything will change. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, says to him, to Christ, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. So these two apostles had received a command from Jesus and had passed it along to the other apostles and they began to sit everyone down so that everyone would be seated. And we know that there were five barley loaves and two small fish. On the one hand, this event symbolizes the last days in which God will arouse in his people not a thirst for water nor hunger for bread, material prosperity, but a desire to hear the words of the Lord, which are the true bread of life that comes down from God. On the other hand, this event is associated with the approach of the Passover holiday, which was the prelude to the descent of the Holy Spirit, in whom the disciples of Jesus would be baptized. By themselves, the people of Israel would not follow just anyone. It says many people had, the Passover was approaching and many people sought for him and walked after Jesus. Um, the multitude don't just walk like this behind anyone if they're not going to be gathered through a supernatural way unless drawn by super, by some supernatural power. And in this case, a lot of people were drawn to Christ by the Heavenly Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. All the evangelists who use evangelism as David the ark, like, there's the power of the Holy Spirit needed to evangelize that is found upon priests. When you are tied to these priests, and upon you will be the power of the Holy Spirit, then not you will search for people, but they will search for you. John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, that will raise him up at the last day. The Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, draws people to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. The question arises, why did Christ want to test Philip and not any of the other disciples present? And why did the answer come through Andrew? The answer is simple, because the power of the divine stallion or the horse in Philip was the same power of the Holy Spirit 
hidden in Andrew's name. Therefore, to make us partakers of the name of the Apostle written at the second base of the wall of the New Jerusalem, which through the baptism of the Holy Spirit is meant to deliver us from the sinful heritage of our fathers, which haunts us, we will look at a few passages of Scripture relating to participation in the courage and power of the Holy Spirit, we must bear in mind that no man, including the Son of God, can by himself stand before God with courage and strength for the fulfillment of his vocation. Because to fulfill the calling to which God brought us, we need the courage and strength of the Holy Spirit. Any other power which man possesses will, by its nature, not only be unable to cope with such a task, but on the contrary will prevent its fulfillment. That's why when Jacob, the son of Isaac, tried to fulfill his calling with the power of the human nature that he inherited from his forefathers, God, using the power of the Holy Spirit, metaphorically abolished Jacob's support. Take a look at what his own power led him to. He knew that a revelation from his mother that the blessing was supposed to belong not to Isaac but to him because Rebecca, before being, giving birth to her son, she had received a revelation from God. When it was difficult for her to carry these twins, she had went to God and said to Isaac, why do I need this torment? And she went and asked God, why do I have this torment? This pain, such a difficult pregnancy, and she had received an answer. There are two nations in your womb that are warring against one another. And there it was said to her that the younger one I have loved and the other I have hated. And Rebecca already knew that Jacob was supposed to be blessed. But when she saw that Isaac had sent Esau and that he was going to come to be blessed, what you see, people hope in themselves because their power was not yet destroyed. And as a result, we see that Jacob had to lie to receive the blessing because he was um, he his skin was so smooth, whereas Esau was very hairy. He was so hairy that uh, that no one could could imagine. Can you imagine that uh, Jacob had to be clothed in uh, the skin of sheep, if you can imagine. And when his father began to touch him, he said, the hands are the hands of Sal, but the voice was Jacob's. He says, are you my son? And Jacob says, yes, my son, I have brought you the food which you have asked for. He said, come to me, I want to hug you. Jacob came forward, he was trembling, <laughs> as he, as he would trembling because his father might find out that he was lying. But she gave him the clothes of Esau. He was clothed in the clothes of Esau when he came to his father. And when the father, um, when Isaac had smelled his clothes, had felt his hands, says, interesting, the hands and the clothes are the clothes of Esau. The voice is Jacob's. And he blessed him. But the blessing already belonged to Jacob because, first of all, Esau had, uh, had sold his birthright and then Jacob had blessed him. He had a double blessing. But take a look at what happened, though, when he had relied on his own support and he wanted to help God and so forth. We also try to do this, finding out about our calling. We try to use our mind, our, our knowledge, our experience. But he didn't do it because the power was not 
we don't need to do things on our own. Jacob had inherited this from the forefathers and God in prayer. The whole night, or according to Jacob's agreement, what the leg that he relied on, he, God caused it to limp, making it... This was an image. Only then God had protected from Esau, and then he could fulfill his calling. Therefore, Jacob um, tried to fulfill his calling, and God, using the power of the Holy Spirit, metaphorically abolished Jacob's support, causing Jacob to limp. In order for God to strengthen us by the power contained in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to exalt our horn over the, those of our enemies, the genetic curse that pursues us, we need to consciously cooperate with the powers contained in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and to this end, we must study them. Otherwise, upon receiving the power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we will continue to to rely on the power of our own intellect and instead of building ourselves up in God we will destroy ourselves. Not long ago I told our guests when I was flying on an airplane um, for the first time ever such a long distance, I didn't know back then that food was included as part of the ticket that I had already paid for it. I was very uh, shy with the means that I came with and when the stewardess had asked me to drink and to eat I didn't know how much it cost and I thought I'm not going to have enough money and then I'm going to be shameful because I won't have enough and I said I'm sorry I'm not hungry and I don't want any she shrugged her shoulders and she was surprised how come the whole airplane is eating and I'm not or I'm not drinking anything but my ignorance or my lack of knowledge that I didn't I didn't know that food was included so you can have Holy Spirit but not know its powers and therefore be unable to use it. I know very many stories, and I've told you these stories before, that when a Russian king, slavery had existed for some time, for years and years. They didn't want to tell their slaves for quite some time that they were already freed, and they remained slaves. But when somebody had brought them this news, listen, here is the manifest of the king, you are free. They had left everything. And when their master came and said, what are you doing? They said, we are free, the king has freed us. And the master had understood that if he keeps these slaves, he was going to go against the king. This is what happens when we don't know the powers are, that are contained in the power of the Holy Spirit or what tongues do that we receive as a gift. We are going to be just as poor as I was in the airplane, such hungry, and I uh, enviously looked at others who were able to, to eat because I thought that they had money. Everything you can do, you just need to know what this is. Obviously, we're going to talk about about the baptism itself and about speaking in tongues during our next service, if God allows us to. 
But for today, I wanted to unveil who the Holy Spirit is and that he was a partaker of Christ's sufferings. He helped Christ endure these sufferings. He clothed him in his power and he couldn't do anything without him. Just like we together, let's not rely on the our own power, on our own will, on our intellect, on our experience, because as soon as all of this dies, we're going to be the most happiest, happiest in the, on the earth. We're going to be calm in every circumstance. We're going to be do things only that at that time which God tells us to do them. Amen. Let us bend our knees and pray. Blessed are you, our God, our strength and our power. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is your unique power. We thank you that we can meet with you in the face of the Holy Spirit without which the whole inheritance of Christ for us would be impossible. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you. We bow down before your feet because this is the work of your Spirit with our faith, with the proclamation of our faith. May your church be blessed before your countenance. May your kingdom be blessed inside of them. May your sanctuary be built in the hearts of your people. May your throne be established out of ivory inlaid with sapphire so that the Holy Spirit can speak through this sapphire those revelations and those truths that can make us free from that which occurs in the world today. The world comes to torment. Wars, wars will become stiffer. Political parties will oppose one another. People will destroy and kill one another. The cries will go up to the heavens. But saved will be only he who dies to all these political influences, who dies to his nation and who becomes a citizen of heaven who becomes God's belonging. He who is clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit, for the, this person it will be impossible to kill if God does not allow this. May your mercy, may your, your mercy be blessed. Allow your people to not listen to the political voices of this world so that we do not become on someone's side. The, poli the politics of any government is false. Every political system pursues its own goals, and they don't hide this. Allow us in this distorted, twisted world to live a quiet life, waiting for your coming. May the hearts of your people be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit so they can be comforted in you. 
because you are our reward, you are our inheritance. May your Holy Spirit be blessed in us and through us. May we be clothed in the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill our calling before your countenance. May you be glorified in us and through us, through your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.